Hey, this is Pastor Chris Jane, and I want to thank you for listening to the Hope Church Sermon of the Week. For more information, check out our website, brhope.church. I hope this message is a blessing to you. Enjoy. Um, today we're going we're gonna to continue our, our study of the book of Mark. And um, man, it just seems like every week as we, these passages that you can read right through them so quickly. But man, there is so much that Jesus is, is inviting us to, that he's, um, that he's trying to get us to go deeper into. And so I love that we've slowed this down to look at these passages one at a time, to really kind of put ourselves into the, into the scriptures and, and, and see what is Jesus demonstrating for us? What's he inviting us into? And today, we're going, to, um, we're going to continue that by looking at something that is, I think, a universal problem of the human condition. It's Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees again, again. And it was over, of all things, hand-washing. All right, about how his disciples wash their hands. And that doesn't sound all that relatable. I know that, I mean, I don't really know anyone who gets worked up over the proper way. You know, I mean, unless you work in healthcare or something, nobody's really coming down on you about, you know, hand washing. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's about these rituals and these traditions that, that sometimes we, we make out to be more important than what God actually says. And that's what was going on. So, uh, even though we don't know, you know, that, that might not relate to us, uh, you know, the proper way to wash our hands. What does apply to us is this question that everybody asks, and that's, how can I be right with God? Because they weren't washing their hands to get clean on the outside. They actually were washing their hands thinking that it was going to make them clean on the inside, right? That the same old story that repeats itself over and over and over again, this, this works program that never, ever works. You know, how can I be right with God? How can I be good enough? You know, am I enough? How can I go to heaven? How can I, you know, it's a, the same question uh, that everybody has, that everybody's always had. I was watching a, a I think it was a YouTube video about uh, the Arab Peninsula and, um, you know, in, in Islam, they've got the five pillars and they have a hand-washing ceremony too. And um, it just struck me, it's that same thing, whether it's a, across the sea or across the street, everybody wants to know, am I enough? You know, am I good enough? How can I be clean? I thought it was kind of funny um, that in the video they were saying there were all these guys that had dirt on their foreheads. And they were saying that guys will put dirt on their foreheads so it looks like they've been praying. You know, so it looks like they're devout, that they've been, you know, had their heads down on the ground for a long time, that they've been praying. It's the same thing. It's that human condition that we all do. We try to clean up our outside or to make our outside look better than, than what's on the inside, on the hopes that we'll look better in somebody else's eyes, you know? Um, 
you know, you can try as hard as you want to get better and to do good and to do the right things, but you know, in the end, only, only Jesus Christ can produce a change on the inside that, that will affect all of your outside. So. so we have to insert God's amazing grace into the middle of all of this. All these rules and regulations that the Pharisees had, Jesus, Jesus came to mess up that system, right? And that's why they were so angry with him. You know, in that video, another thing I heard a lot was, if Allah wills it. It was like, you know, they hope to do all these things and do all the right things, and then if Allah wills it, maybe they'll get to go to heaven. You know, there's like this uncertainty. Um, everybody's trying to be made right. Some people go after getting degrees. You know what I mean? They want to look better. I, I remember the first day of college, you have to take like an introduction type class, like welcome to college type class. And I remember the guy saying, don't do this just for the degree. Do this to get better, to, to grow, to learn. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. And then like immediately after the class, I was talking to the kid next to me and he's like, I don't know, I'm just here for the degree. You know, it's like we, we go after, we want letters behind our names or whatever it might be so that maybe then we could be advanced, we could be promoted, we'll look better on the outside than we really are. I can try to look holy, I can try to look godly like the guys with the dirt on their uh, foreheads. It's a human condition across the planet. And that's what we encounter here today. It's in the midst of all this stuff that we have to insert this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but inherit eternal life. Whoever would believe in him, he would do on the inside what they were trying so desperately to do on the outside. Right? So with that backdrop, let's go to Mark chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that grace is an inside job. And it is by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. And we pray, amen. So let me read this to you. One day those known as the Pharisees and certain religious scholars, the scribes, came from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus. They were shocked to find that some of Jesus' disciples ate bread without first observing the prescribed Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating their meal. For the Pharisees, like all other Jews, will not eat without first performing a ritual of pouring water over their cupped hands to keep the tradition of the elders. Similarly, when returning uh, from the marketplace, they ceremonially wash themselves before eating. They also observed many other traditions, such as ceremonially washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the age-old traditions passed down by our elders? They should first ceremonially wash their hands before eating. He said, why do your disciples eat with defiled hands? Now let's back up for a minute. What is a Pharisee? Okay, a Pharisee is a religious leader that would pass down the oral traditions of the elders. And they had something called the Talmud. All right. 
they had the Torah, that was their scriptures, but then they had the Talmud that was like this supplement to the Bible that was all the traditions. And in the Talmud, they had 30 pages about how to wash your hands to be ritually clean. They had all kinds of ceremonies, how many cups of water to use. Um, and again, it wasn't about getting the germs off. It was washing your hands to be ritually clean. And where did that come from? Well, the, the Lord did tell the priests that they should wash their hands before carrying out their duties. And then at some point, someone said, well, I think it should just be everybody. You know, and then that somebody told somebody else and told somebody else generation to generation. It just becomes, to them, almost the same as God saying it. You know, it becomes like Scripture to them. It gets its life of its own. They'd say that you have to wash your hands after you wake up in the morning because at night you could have encountered a, an evil spirit. You know, or if you visited a ceremony, you had to wash your hands because you could have um, encountered a, a ghost or something like that, a, a dead spirit. Or if you were in the, when you came back from the marketplace, you could have bumped into a Gentile. And so then you really are unclean. You know, so you've got, there's all these rules and regulations about how you're supposed to do things on the outside to try to be clean on the inside. What's crazy about this and why they're so upset with Jesus is that he's out there, he's always out there with everything they call defiled. You know, he said, this is the reason I came. I came to help the sick, not the, not the healthy. I came for bad people that know that they're bad and need a savior. That's the reason I came. But, and that, so that's the, the Pharisees. And then the scribes, uh, they would copy the law. And not only would they copy the law, they would interpret the law. They would say, well, this is what God meant. So here the Pharisees and the scribes, they've made a 90-mile journey to oppose Jesus again, to accuse Jesus again. If you remember, uh, and, and again, it's just about the disciples not washing their hands. So can we just back up for a minute and get some perspective? What's, what's been going on in Mark so far? We've got sins being forgiven. We've had hundreds of thousands of people getting baptized. We've had blind eyes opened, deaf ears made to hear. We've had the dead being raised back to life. We've had evil spirits cast out. All of these sick people healed. And the critics here are focusing on the fact that they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And how can this be? I mean, how crazy is that, that this is the culture that Jesus stepped into? A culture where people tried so hard, as people still do to this day, to be right and to do right and to get better. And he came to mess up that whole work system and implement God's amazing grace. By placing our faith in Jesus and what he's achieved, we no longer have to keep trying to achieve being right. And that is very good news. Amen. I met this uh, guy. I was out on a motorcycle ride and I came to a, a gas station and they had food at the gas station. And so there were another group of motorcycle type people too. You know how that happens all the time. It's like, you know, you just happen to be in those places. And, 
and they were eating, and we, I got to chatting with one, and um, it was an older guy, real friendly guy, and, and uh, he was telling me that a you know, him and his buddies always ride together, like twice a week or something like that. They go on these long rides, and but that one of their buddies had been hit and killed recently on his motorcycle. I'm like, why are you telling me that? We're out riding motorcycles, uh, and you know, and I, I said to him, well, what, you know, you know, why, like that's that's so sad, uh, you know but you're going to keep riding, huh? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to keep riding. I mean, if I get hit, I die, I'll go to heaven. I said, really? How do you know? And he said, well, I know I don't have to go to church. I know that. But I try to do a lot of good things. I said, wow. <laughs> he said, I know I don't have to go to church. I know that. There must be a story there. I didn't get the story, but you know there's a, there's a story there. But he said, I, I try to do a lot of good things. How crazy is that, that this guy is going to stand before God one day, as we all will, whether it's on a motorcycle accident or, or of old age, and he's going to hope that his good outweighed his bad. Do you get how insane that is? And yet that's... I would say that's kind of the, what passes for kind of normal logic in this, in, this, in this culture. It's no different than it was 2,000 years ago where everybody's trying to do enough good to be made right with God, to get into heaven. And I didn't have very much time with him. They were getting ready to leave, but I tried to encourage him that, no, it's not about you. You don't have to do or say anything except come to the one who, who gave it all for you. He traded his scorecard for yours. You get in on the basis of his goodness, not yours. Today in the midst of the Pharisees and the scribes making their accusations, I want us to make sure we're reminded of God's amazing grace and that we choose to walk out the rest of this year into God's amazing grace. That we live out 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that, that we thank God for the amazing grace we have through Jesus, that we thank God that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we are so grateful for the extravagant love of God that is seen in him sending his son for us. And that we live out the sweet communion, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week, that we live that out all year long. Thank you, Lord. If you've lived your life like so many others have, trying to be good enough, do good enough, I pray that, that this is your year to say no more of that. No more of me trying to achieve. I'm, I'm going to just receive what he's achieved for me through his amazing grace. Because we know it's it's by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And it goes on in verse 6, and it says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So he said it almost sarcastically, like, yeah, Isaiah was right when he talked about you. You try to say all the right things, look the right way, seem important, but your heart's 
your hearts aren't even close to me. It says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that means it's, it's given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. So, you know, they had a responsibility to take care of, as we do, you know, to look out and care for our parents, uh, you know, when that time comes. But what they would do is they would, if they had a, a house or a, you know, something to give, they would say, well, no, that, that's my offering to God. So I, don't, I can't share any of that with you. And then they were just off the hook, right? It was Corbin. Anything that they would just say is like, this is dedicated to God. Isn't that convenient? And this was just one of the things they would do like that to, to avoid. And I mean, I get it. They had a lot of rules. I mean, they had so many rules they were trying to live out before the cross. This, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like when we do taxes. You know, it's like, yeah, I, wanted, <laughs> I want to do my part. I just don't want to do any more than my part. Amen? You know, if there's something I can shelter, you know, if I could just say to the IRS, no, 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 this is Corbin. This is all dedicated to the Lord. You know, no capital gains for me. No 30%, you know. Yeah, and this was just an example of, of, of one of the things that they were doing. And again, as he always does, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter when he says, you say the right things with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Let's pause right there for a minute. How dangerous is that? That we could be a people who could say all the right things and yet have a heart that's far from me. It is not hard to do. And it's so dangerous. I've been guilty of it many times. I mean, you can be the most uh, exuberant worshiper and it doesn't mean anything at all. You can dress in like the long denim skirts and the, you know what I mean? You can like, your whole family, can, you know those people, right? And yet be the most rebe- re- rebellious at heart. You know, you can be reading the one-year Bible. I'm going through the one-year Bible and it doesn't mean anything because your, your heart is, is so far from him. I've been going through this myself. I, I told you guys last week, you know, if I'm just being honest with you guys, I spent this summer feeling like I should give this up. I should be done with this. I wasn't feeling close. And you know, it's always the same. I was telling Joe this earlier. It's always the same problem. Like whenever that's happening, all you have to do is go back to, well, am I spending any time alone with God in prayer? No? Oh, well, I guess that could be a problem. You know what I mean? It's, it never changes. Not 2,000 years ago, not today. It won't change in our lifetimes or in our kids' lifetimes. The, the only way to overcome that, that sense of distance is to spend time with him, to get alone with God in prayer. That's it. That's, it's, it's, there's no secret. It's the secret place that we've got to cultivate, right? We have to. There's no other way 
that we can, uh, you know, it's, you got to make that choice though, don't you? You can be saved. Like I wasn't going to go to hell if I, if I quit being your pastor, I quit the church, I don't even go to church the rest of my life. That doesn't mean that I'll lose my salvation. But that relationship would be so damaged that it would feel, it would feel like I was a thousand miles from God. And, and I don't want that. So anyway, so I've had to, I've had to just get back to the basics of, you know, because you guys know I get up early. I like to get up early. That used to always be my time. That's my secret time. The family's sleeping. It's quiet. But it's like you can get up early and just watch a bunch of Facebook videos, YouTube videos. Like you can scroll through a feed and all of a sudden an hour's gone by. That wasn't productive time just because I got up early. That doesn't make me spiritual or, you know, spiritually clean like these guys are trying to get to, you know. It'd be like getting up to pray, but you just spend the whole time kind of thinking about the things you've got to do that day, Any, anything but him. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not productive. So I've had, to, I've had to make that change, get back to the basics, you know, of, of devotions and prayer and of reading my Bible and journaling and those things that, that, that draw, get me closer to him. And we, we all have to. You guys have to make that decision today, the rest of this year, 2019. You get to decide, are you going to just be, you know, in the kingdom or do you want to be, you want to just be in the crowd or do you want to get closer? It's up to you. It's up to you. Jesus called him a hypocrite. In the Greek, that means an actor, someone who wears a mask. They play a part, you see. They were playing a part, pretending to be godly when they weren't godly at all. It was just a role they were playing. You know, Jesus sees the real you. He sees the real me. He sees you when you have a mask on, and he sees you when you don't. Uh, he knows the real you. He knows the real me. And I, I suppose today you could say, like I said, they attend church, but their hearts are far from me, you know. They're, they're enthusiastic about worship, but their hearts are far from me, you know. We cannot let that be said of us, friends. Let's not let that be said of us. This is your time to walk in that sweet communion, that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, to have a heart that is close to him, that clings to him. And Jesus said very specifically that the problem is when we put the teachings of men above the teachings of God. That's legalism. That's what we've been fighting so hard against these last, I'd say, 10 years. Uh, maybe, maybe more, but I know in this church it feels like the last 10 years we've been trying to battle that whole thing of what, is, what did God say and what have we sort of added to it? What, what have we decided is appropriate behavior, is the way that a person should behave, you know, and, and how are we allowed to treat people who, are, who we think aren't measuring up? There's what God says about it, and then there's our traditions that the, that the Western church has built up over the years that we've got to tear down. We've got to get away from that. I mean, 30 pages just about washing their hands. I mean, come on. And not to be cleaned, but to be clean before God. It's sad, really, when you think about
what the truth is, how easy it is. I mean, on the Sabbath, they couldn't take a bath because they might spill the water and have to clean it up and then they would be working. If you think that's crazy, they couldn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because the spit might cultivate the soil and then they would be, they would be working, they'd be farming. All right, I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. All these traditions just passed from a somebody to a somebody to a somebody else, you know. And they taught that as though it was God saying that stuff. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, that's not how any of this works. You cannot get clean on the inside by cleaning yourself up on the outside. You can't do it. It will never work that way. Like I said, it's that works system that never, ever works. And he goes on and he says, It says that he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he gets away from the crowd. It says, When he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Are you really so dull that you don't understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and then is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. We need to stop and catch this, kind of going back to what I was saying, that all through the Gospel of Mark we've seen, and we're going to see even more as we continue, that there's... uh, there's things that Jesus wants to say to everybody, to the crowd. You know, he said, hear me, all of you. But then he gets away from the crowd. There's some things he just wants to share with his disciples. And then often we see his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. He He would just get alone with them. They were able to see like the transfiguration and kind of these more intimate, special moments that the rest of the disciples didn't see, that the crowd didn't see. And, you know, I want to encourage you today to get out of the crowd. You know, you've got to determine that is this going to be the year that you, you know, if you want to just be in the crowd, you're curious, you're interested, you're intrigued, that's fine, but God's calling you to, to step out of the crowd, become one of the disciples, and, and eventually into that inner circle where he can impart some things to you. I think of it as like a, a house, entering a house. You know, when you're standing in the entryway, it's like, I, I know I need to be born again. I know I need to be saved. I know I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior. I need the, the power of the 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 sacrifice that Christ made where he trades his scorecard for mine. I need that. I want that. Thank you, Lord, for that salvation. You're in the entryway of the house. I'm just going to sort of hang out here and check things out. You know, but friend, you don't want to stay in the crowd. There's some things that Jesus wants to tell you that are only told in the inner circle that are, 
There's things that he wants to work in you that are only done in the, in the inner circle. Some things he imparts to you in the depth of a relationship that doesn't happen in a big crowd when you're just one of the masses, but misses the relationship and closeness with him and, and with the body of Christ and the fellowship he's called you into. So you want to get out of the entryway and eventually make your way into the living room, right, where people are hanging out, where you can be known and you can know others, you know, where you can um, invest in others and they can invest in you. And this is why this was so contrary to what the Pharisees believed in. They were all about rules. Jesus said, no, it's about relationships. And you want to walk into the living room where you're walking in relationship with the body of Christ. Small groups, Bible studies, these, that's why these things are so valuable. That's why I want to encourage you to, you know, if you men want to be here on Friday nights at 7 o'clock, that the space will be open for that, for that exact thing, for us to invest in each other, to get closer to him, to, to grow. Um, if you guys have a heart to start up um, maybe a Sunday school program for adults or a, um, a Wednesday night discipleship after prayer, if anybody's feeling like, you know, that's something that they wouldn't mind heading up, it, let's do it. It's so important. I can't do everything, but I can facilitate it. We have the space. We have curriculums. We have video series. I mean, we, we've got years worth of good instruction and things that you could do if you want to get into the living room and get be with other believers on a more regular basis. And then you eventually want to make your way into the kitchen, right? Because what, what do people do in the kitchen besides eat? They roll up their sleeves and they work alongside each other, right? It's messy in the kitchen. In the body of Christ, you want to get to the point where you're working side by side with somebody else in the family. Here's the thing. You have gifts. God has given you spiritual gifts, and I'm, I'm convinced of this. Jesus Christ is coming soon. We have to live with the expectation of his imminent return. Because if we really believe that, that that moment is at hand, we would roll up our sleeves, we would work alongside other believers to gather up everyone we could into the kingdom and to train them up in maturity in Christ. We would do that if we really believed that he's coming soon. And so it's so important that we get into the kitchen, we roll up our sleeves, when you're in the kitchen, you're bumping into other people. You, don't, you can't be offended. Everybody's got to work together, right? Everybody's family in the kitchen. You're going to bump. You're going to, you know, knock into somebody else. There's going to be messes to clean up, all that kind of stuff. But that's family. That's the kitchen. That's that inner circle that I know he's calling you into. So I wanted to pause and talk about that, but I want to encourage you, get into the kitchen this year. Get, make this the year that you, you get closer. It says, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then, you, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And then in parentheses, he says, Thus all, he declared all foods clean. This is really significant because Mark is inserting this. Jesus didn't say that. He's inserting this 
Um, that's why it's in parentheses, because he, he's writing to Roman Christians, right? That they wouldn't understand all the Jewish traditions and why this was so significant because they had, I mean, he's saying all foods are clean uh, because some of the Jewish Christians, they were trying to tell them, oh, you can't eat this or that. And they were trying to make them follow all the rules and regulations that Jesus had came to set them free from. So Mark put that right out there. All foods are clean. You know, it's not what, what enters your, your stomach, but what's in your heart. And then he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. In other words, getting cleaned up is an inside job, not an outside job. The heart is what must be clean. And nothing outside can make that happen. So the question of the day is, how can someone get cleaned? If, it, if it's not from doing you know, outside things, if it's not the rituals, if it's not the tra traditions passed down by people, then how can somebody be made right in God's eyes? What is it that someone has to do to know that they're going to heaven? What do they have to do to be right in God's eyes right now today? Titus 3.5 said, He saved us not because of our works done by our righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He saved us. Why? Not because of what we did, but because he's merciful. So now this is the big elephant in the room, right? For those that have been far from God, but you live with this wanting to measure up, you know, wanting to do right and to be right and to get better, even if you've been in the faith, you're a follower of Jesus, but now and then you see stuff in yourself and you think, that's not right. Like, how did that come out of me? You know, did you ever look in yourself and, and think that? Like, whoa, I can't believe I said that or did that or, you know, how did that, those words come out of me? I um, helped this couple buy a house earlier this year in the spring and they had a home inspection, everything was fine, um, bought the house, and then when they were doing some remodeling, they found out that there were termites in the walls of this very beautiful old Victorian-style house. And um, they had it treated, it was, in the end it was, it was fine, but it was something that the inspection didn't catch. You, know, you couldn't see inside the walls, but eventually you can see the results of, of that type of um, infestation. And what ended up happening is um, they, they can come in and they can, they can tent your house and they can spray something and that will kill all of the termites that are there at that moment, but it doesn't protect your house from, from more termites. To do that, they put the stuff into the ground. Okay, there are these little inserts that they put into the ground and it makes it so that the termites um, don't want to, to be in the house anymore, don't want to come into that area. Apparently it works pretty well. But here's the thing with that evil that can come from the heart. You can't tear it out. You can't put out traps or, or fumigate for it. You certainly can't work hard enough and try and be good enough to get that out of there. The only way 
you can get that out of there is by getting Jesus in there. Right? When you put that chemical in the ground, termites don't, don't want to be there anymore. They, they, don't, they don't feel comfortable anymore. It's the same way when we get Jesus on the inside. When you get Jesus on the inside of you, there are some things that are not going to be happy to be there anymore. There's going to be some things that aren't comfortable there anymore. There's going to be some things that just can't stand to be in there anymore. So I want to encourage you that instead of working and striving and trying to get better, that when we enter into the experience of God's amazing grace and let him do what only he can do. Stop living in condemnation. Stop living on this ladder where you think, oh, I'm doing pretty good, like I'm, everything's going okay, and then you mess up and you, and you fall all the way back to the beginning. It's like that Greek mythology um, figure, um, Sisyphus. Sisyphus, Sisyphus, something like that. The guy who has to push the boulder up the hill for all of eternity. Do you remember, have you ever heard this story? Like that was his punishment from the gods was this, was he had to roll this boulder up this hill and when he gets it to the top, it falls back to the bottom every time. That is a special kind of hell that I wouldn't wish on anybody and yet that's sort of how we live. Sometimes we, we feel like we have to push and push this thing up and then just when, when we finally are, are feeling good about ourselves, something happens and we feel like, oh, it's all lost. Now I'm all the way back to the beginning. Stop living on this ladder. It's not about everything you're doing. When it comes to God's grace, it's about what he did. Let's look at God's word about this because I, I really want us to catch this. Ezekiel 36 Verse 26 says, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your old stony and stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. Do you see what God says he'll do for you if you'll simply come to him? Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul said this, It's no longer I that lives, but it is now Christ that lives where? inside of me. And when he's inside of me, he's going to take care of what's inside of me, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there's liberty. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding God's glory, and watch this, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another degree. So when you're born again, when you come to Jesus, just as you are, instantly you're made right in God's eyes. And yet there's also a process of sanctification because he said that you're being transformed. So you and I, we haven't all arrived yet, have we? Yes, you've been made right in God's eyes, and yet at the same time, the, the elephant in the room is this. We were made right in God's eyes by placing our faith in Christ, and at the same time, we're being transformed. We're all in process. So you may find some things that you don't like in you, but realize, hey, I'm in process. There were some things that were there that they're not going to be comfortable, and they're not going to be able to stay there anymore. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God of peace 
himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. You notice it doesn't say you. It doesn't say you will surely do it. If you work hard enough, surely you'll finally get it figured out. If you put in enough time, then you'll be holy enough. No, he will surely do it. Friend, he is the author, he is the finisher, he's the perfecter of our faith, and what he starts, he will finish. Amen. Let's end on that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, because we do have to catch something. While, While grace is an inside job, there's nothing you can do. It's on the inside. You come to Jesus, you invite him in, and then let his grace as an inside job transform you And then that will affect your outside. While all this is true, you do have a part to play. You have the part of first coming to Christ and then cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We want to catch the the whole picture, his part and our part. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 11, Hey, to all who are weary and you're tired of trying to do everything right, tired of trying to measure up, you've got this heavy burden of trying to do all this stuff and never being good enough. If that's you, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come on, take myself upon you. My yoke is easy, way lighter than what you've been carrying. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us, we have a part to play, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close. So you have a part to play today and this week and this year, you and, and we need to lay aside every weight. That's the stuff that you might not think is sin, but it's slowing you down. Lay it aside. To repent means to change your mind, and that will affect a change in your direction. So change your mind about some things that you, that you thought were not that big of a deal, but you know it's, it's going to slow you down. You know that that We've got to change our mind about some things that are absolutely sin. It's not right. It's not like Christ. You've got to recognize it for what it is. We've got to stop making excuses for it. Stop trying to blame. Well, they shouldn't have treated me that way. Listen, somebody else is not responsible for what comes out of you, right? You and I, we have to take responsibility for what comes out of us. We can't blame it on anybody else. We have to come to Jesus and lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily besets us. That's why Peter, when he proclaimed the gospel after being filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, repent, believe, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he said this, save yourself from this crooked generation. You need to save yourself by coming to Christ, by repenting, having that change of mind that will affect a change of action in your life, by believing that Jesus is the only way that anybody can be saved, and by following him. Repent, believe, and follow. It's this theme. We keep seeing it over and over and over again in this study. So let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. 
This year, you don't want to stare at your faults. You don't want to be gazing at all the inadequacies. Uh, you don't want to be staring at the process of you being transformed into his image if it's not happening fast enough. What you want to do is just look at Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on him, and remind yourself, hey, he's the one who started something good in me. He's the one who will finish it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Okay, that's going to do it for this week. I really hope that this message was a blessing to you. If it was, why not subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. It really does help. Thanks and have a blessed week.